Welcome to People's Town Hall's new podcast series, If We Can Keep It, conversations dedicated to our fellow Americans who roll up their sleeves and make democracy work. We hope to shine a light on the importance of that work and also to invite you, the listener, who cares deeply about our shared democracy to join in this effort in big ways or small. I'm your host, Nathan Williams, co-founder of Town Hall Project and People's Town Hall. And like you, someone who cares a lot about our democracy and always looking for inspiration from other people finding ways to make a difference. Democracy is more than just what happens in the halls of Congress or at the ballot box in November. It's a year-round process that all of us can contribute to. And it's an essential birthright to all Americans, if we can keep it. Our guest this week is activist and leader Candace Avalos. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. All right, joining us today is Candace Avalos of Portland, Oregon. Candace is the executive director of Verde, a nonprofit organization building environmental wealth and resiliency in the Pacific Northwest. She is the chair of the Citizen Review Committee in Portland, which provides civilian oversight over the police bureau. She also serves on Portland's once a decade Charter Review Commission and on the Oregon Governor's Police Training and Standards Task Force. She writes a column for the Oregonian, which is the largest newspaper in the state. She was a candidate for Portland City Council in 2020, co-founded the Black Millennial Movement, and is probably involved in a dozen more projects and causes I'm unaware of because she's just that amazing, and it seems like there's at least three or four of her. Uh, Candace, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate that warm welcome, and I'm glad to discuss more about what led me to get involved in my city. Terrific. Uh, so what's what's your personal story? How did you come to being so civically engaged? Well, uh, I was born in Virginia, so I'm not originally from Portland, Oregon. I was born in Fairfax, Virginia, which is in the northern part, you know, a little bit outside of D.C. And so uh, growing up in northern Virginia or Nova, as we call it for short, um, there it was definitely a different world from um, Oregon and Portland. And our state, um, the politics are a lot different than they are here. And I, at a very young age, got really involved in the politics of my state um, from being a kid and helping my mom at the ballot. Um, like, I want to say ballot box, but it's like, what do they call them? I've been in Oregon for so long. <laughs> Voting booths or whatever. Yeah, polling, polling places. places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I'm like so used to uh, vote by mail that I already forgot what it's like uh, to not have that. Yep. Which I for, never the, for those not, not from Oregon, uh, we are 100% vote by mail here in Oregon and have been for, I think, 20 years or so. So, yeah, most of us don't yeah. even remember what it's like to have to drive somewhere or walk somewhere to vote. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely had to rack my brain there for a moment. Um, but in um, Virginia, what they do is they have volunteers that stand outside of the polling places with literature on either a Democratic or Republican side or any other, you know, uh, party that wants to be represented. So that was something that, you know, you just volunteer a couple, out, couple hours of your time to stand and um, hand out these sheets that also help people uh, understand what was on their ballot when they went in there. Um, so I got involved in that very young um, through my mom, who uh, is an immigrant. Uh, she came to this country when she was five years old. 
uh, from Guatemala, which is where half of my family is from. The other half of my family is from deep South Virginia, close to the North Carolina border, African-American um, family. So uh, that's why I call myself Black Tina. Um, those two uh, cultures are really important to me and they have shaped uh, the way that I've been civically involved because um, of the way that uh, American politics and policies affect those two particular communities. Um, so then moving ahead into my like high school years, um, I was always into sports and I did soccer growing up and uh, in high school, I joined a step dance team. So um, very uh, big in African-American culture. Uh, and those were some of the ways that I started to learn where, where my voice came from. Um, and then uh, I decided to get involved in student government where we had a school that I went to one school my freshman year. By sophomore year, they opened a new school and uh, it was actually really challenging because I didn't understand these dynamics at the time. But when I think back on them, I realized how much they shaped me. Um, it was like the very wealthy, you know, white high school was being combined with the more uh, low income black and brown high school. And so families from half of those schools made up my new high school. And there was a lot of tension in the community. There was all these parents who were really upset about, you know, there's the, their kids going to this new school. They didn't want them to be mixed in with other communities. And so um, I, at the time it was like, what, 14, 13, I couldn't really understand the dynamics, but I did feel a sense of urgency of how to make this new school feel like home. Um, and so I decided, you know, not only uh, it was a blank slate because uh, everyone's new. So I was like, I'm definitely going to try out for the soccer team. You know, I'm going to try out for uh, different sports things. And um, I decided to do student government. So uh, I lost. I definitely lost to the football player because, of course, um, but I stayed involved and uh, made it through um, my senior year being really active. And I think that's a, a huge source of my civic engagement um, kind of bone uh, that has grown in me over the years. And uh, when I moved out to Portland, that is what I continued to do. So I got my master's in higher education administration and I moved to Portland to work at Portland State University, which is where I was the last eight years, um, working with student governments and fraternities and sororities and in the leadership department. Um, so it really all came full circle for me um, that I had mentors throughout the years that um, taught me about what it meant to use my voice and be engaged in my community. And I wanted to pay that forward and help other young people do that. So um, that's a, a big source of my identity is somebody who is uh, wants to speak out on things that don't seem right and uh, wants our leaders to be held accountable for meeting the outcomes that are going to best protect and serve us as citizens. So um, I think that's a, a big part of my origin story. That's great. Well, I'm certainly glad that uh, you didn't take that loss uh, too <laughs> too much to heart. Uh, somebody in politics once said, "I can't remember that you have to you have to lose to win." Uh, I think almost oh. every uh, every successful leader has has lost a race early in their career. I know Barack Obama lost his first race. Uh, he didn't he didn't give up either. Um, I also grew up in Virginia, incidentally, in uh, in Ooh. Richmond. So I know um, I know the areas you're talking about. I didn't didn't grow up there personally. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, coming coming from the south to the west coast is a big a big culture change. Um, and, you know, I personally found it kind of striking how, how, you know, when I moved out here, probably a few years, uh, earlier than you, how people on the West coast kind of like, Oh, the South is where, 
you know, that's, that's where racism is. That's where problems are. Everything on the, we got it all figured out on the West coast, um, which, you know, isn't true. Uh, so what was your experience kind of coming from, from one cultural end of the country to the other? Yeah, it was definitely really jarring. And um, people, when I told them I was moving to Portland, they were like, well, why Portland? And it truly was because I was following my dream job. And, um, but I had no idea. I barely even knew where Portland was. I was like, Oregon, that's like over by California. Like I was so- I, I thought like, Portland was in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that just goes to show you, like I was definitely coming in a very unaware of what, the politics and culture were going to be here, um, what the demographics were going to be. Obviously, I did some research and looked around, but um, you it's, you have to come and experience it to really understand it. And so I think one of the biggest things I realized when I moved out here was I was so used to being in spaces that were very... Um, uh, lots of ideologies were um, fighting for change. So when I was in student government at James Madison University, um, you know, we had conservative folks, we had Republicans, and we had liberal and Democratic um, students, and we're all coming together to try to like solve campus problems. And those, those uh, partisan like tendencies would come out. And so um, I, I grew up in that kind of very purple state. Um, so I was often just exposed to people that disagreed with me. Um, and so coming to Portland, you know, obviously they, uh, Portland likes to see itself as a progressive place and a liberal place, um, which definitely there's some undertones there that need to be uncovered when it comes to uh, being in a state that also excluded black and brown people for almost ever, you know, only recently um, did they take that out of the constitution in the last century. Um, and so there's, it was interesting as someone coming in and being like, I guess, being told that I wasn't liberal or progressive enough. And I was like, wait a minute, like I was used to being like the liberal, you know, like the, <laughs> yeah. the, the token liberal over where I was coming from. And so the politics were just really interesting to adjust to. And I think for any person, you know, you only know what you know, and you're a product of your environment. And um, getting out of that environment really opened my eyes to like, what are my beliefs? And what are the things that um, you know, where, where does my identity um, fall in with these beliefs? I was also on a journey personally as a biracial woman when I got here because um, I present very Black. Um, I look African-American, but culturally I'm very Latina. I grew up with mostly just my Latina family. And so um, I was coming out here and noticed like one, I didn't see many people like me. And two, um, you know, people were like, oh, well, she's black, right? But I think coming from a place like Virginia that was just a lot more multicultural, you could look at me and see the nuance in like who I was um, by like my, just like my features. Uh, and I was kind of put in this position here in Portland where it was like, I was seen as black. And so I had to understand what that meant to be black in America. That was a journey for me to discover. And so I think Portland has brought that out in me um, and spaces like the Black Millennial Movement, for example, um, have really helped me like shore up my identity. So that's been hard because it's like, I really, I didn't realize how, how multicultural my environment was until I didn't have it anymore. And then I was really like thirsting for 
um, finding people like me that I could relate to. So I'm now in a place, I've been in Portland for nine years and I have some community now, which is great. Um, but that was a huge struggle for the first couple of years that I was here. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. That's that's really powerful. And again, glad you are here uh, and glad you're, you're staying engaged. Uh, so um, you know, what led you to kind of focus your civic work you know, mostly at the local level. I don't want to over-characterize, but it, it seems like professionally and, and your passions are to the state level to a degree and, and, and mostly, you know, in the city. Well, I feel like that is the place that we can have so much more impact. Uh, I look at what's going on in Washington, D.C. and all the federal drama, and it feels hard to influence. Um, of course, you know, we communicate with our senators here in Oregon, who I think are really great fighters for us down in D.C. Um, but for the most part, I think the way um, I've seen change happen is in these like being on these boards and commissions, moving um, local leaders to make decisions like financial decisions that are going to benefit people that in ways that we can feel, you know. Um, and so I think that's and that was a lot of what I taught my students to do as well. Um, I was like, focus on like what you have the power on, um, not so much on where you have the least power. Um, I tried to help um, them understand like a power analysis of like, where can you make the most impact and you have the most leverage and put your energy there instead of fighting something that's like out of reach. Not to say that you shouldn't, you know, fight for change on all levels, um, but I think it people feel more fulfilled when they can see that um, fight turning into change. Uh, and that helps motivate them to continue, you know, on up um, through the different layers of government. So I feel like it's a, important for people to just recognize the power they have locally and the decisions that are being made locally that affect you day to day. Um, we have way more access to those than we think. Yeah, I would love to to hear more about that, and not to you know condense your entire uh, course at at PSU into <laughs> into five minutes. But you know, for someone who's like, oh yeah, I give ten dollars to some Senate candidate in Florida because that's where it seems like that's where my money matters the most. So that's where my time matters the most. You know, what is that? What's the barrier to entry to to being on a commission? I mean, you're already on several, so it seems like, oh, well, I have to be in the club already to get in the club. If, if mm -hmm. someone just wants to start being involved in, in you know, local uh, civic boards and institutions, how, how do they go about it? Well, it's, the answer to your question is partially one of the things I'm trying to um, work on, not only in my work here at Verde, but also just in general, um, which is, we need to empower folks and give them the tools to be able to feel like they can step into these spaces and um, they have it, you have it in you, but it is hard to just jump in, you know, without any guidance, without any knowledge of what's going on. It's a very intimidating space at times. And so, um, for example, at PSU, I built up a uh, internship program that was for student government. Um, but, you know, it was like, if you want to just learn about civic engagement, if you want to learn about how you can make a difference on campus and talk about these different issues, do this class. And it's partly class, part internship, where you can put what we're discussing, the theories and concepts we're discussing in class into action by volunteering with student government. Um, and so I, 
with all kinds of leaders in the region, we've been talking about like wanting to build this pipeline and helping people um, find that path into boards and commissions that um, uh, need that support. And so Verde right now, we're working on creating a C4. Um, for those that aren't aware, a C3, you know, you have limited political um, capacity, um, but having a C4 lets you be more involved um, in an electoral way. Um, and so we're working on creating some leadership development so that people can just, it feel less intimidating to people. Um, so yes, I get that part of my answer to you is like, what's in the future, what is happening, which uh, that's my ideal dream world. I think for right now where we are, um, truly it is just about like taking that step and just saying like, what are the things that I care about? Narrowing that down and then going into that space. Um, for example, when I first joined a uh, commission, the very first one I joined was the Citizen Review Committee, which is a police accountability board. And uh, I had a friend who emailed me and was like, hey, this um, board is looking for people. Here's an application. It's due tomorrow, by the way. And I was like, well, thanks. Um, but I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I actually care a lot about police accountability. And this seems like an opportunity for me to have a say in some of this. And so I applied and then I joined. And then that was like, open so many doors. So I feel like if you just take that one step into the thing that you really care about and um, it opens up all the other doors and you just like, I don't even know, like people are like, how did you get to this point? You're on all these boards. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah. You know, obviously there's some intentionality there, but also it's just, uh, you get immersed in the world and then you get excited about different things and you meet excuse me, meet different people um, that are involved and then you just start like digging in. So um, I think the best advice is just what's something that um, you want to change in your community, finding a board that does something in that realm and join it. Yeah. And I, I don't know your, you know, the specific pool for, for the citizen review committee, but in many of these boards, you know, in, in parts of the country, there are so few people that apply to join them. Like you, yes. you may be up against one or two other people. You may be the only one who applies. So, you know, if exactly. you feel like, you know, you, the listener, uh, not you, Candace, if you feel like, you know, the, the gulf to, to be on this kind of important institution is so high, you know, just apply to a couple, just, you know, or, or reach out to someone who's on one and say, how did you do it? How did you get on it? Um, so, you know, beyond that, you, um, you ran for office in 2020, which is, uh, pretty uncommon for, for someone as young as you were and are. Um, so walk us through, you know, how you went from, huh, I wonder if I might want to, you know, serve in an elected position someday to, I have a campaign and I'm, I'm paying for ads and I, you know, I'm giving interviews on the local news. How, how did you get there? Well, I think that part of my journey, and it didn't dawn on me until it was already happening, was I was already doing this kind of political representation work in student government. That was basically what I was um, when I was student body president or when I'm, you know, class president, um, vice president, whatever. I did all kinds of different roles in my time through high school, college, and grad school that was really preparing me for that. But people would always ask me, they're like, Candace, you're going to run for office. And I'd be like, heck no, that sounds crazy. Like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Um, and, but as time went on, as I was like working with my students at PSU 
and helping connect them to the community and kind of seeing what was going on. Again, I wasn't from Portland, so um, I was learning like what was going on in City Hall um, and locally. And uh, I think I was like always prepping myself for it, but I had to convince myself that I that was what I was doing. <laughs> so it was kind of this subconscious thing. Um, but I did, like I said, when I joined that um, police accountability board in 2017, that was that really opened a door up for me to be like, whoa, what's going on here in City Hall? Who's making decisions? How are they making the decisions? How are those decisions affecting people like me and others? And um, I started to kind of peel back the layers a bit. And I decided to join the Emerge Oregon um, cohort. So um, not every state has them, but about a little more than half of the states have a chapter. Um, it is a program for Democratic women who want to run for office. Um, so I was actually in the middle of that program in 2019 when um, on our city council, uh, one of the commissioners, Amanda Fritz, announced that she was going to retire. Um, so as you know, going up against an incumbent is just hard, right? Uh, and going up, uh, especially as a newcomer. So that felt like a really important opportunity. I wasn't ready. I definitely was not ready for it. Uh, I sat next to one of my colleagues in the class that April and she was like, you're going to do it. Are you going to run? Are you going to run? And I was like, no, no, no. And she just kept asking me and asking me. And by noon, I was like, hmm, maybe <laughs> let me think about this. Uh, and I gave it some real thought. I spent like the next month, like really like figuring out, is this what I want? Do I feel like I can make a difference? Do I know enough it, to be able to do this kind of job? And it ultimately, I ultimately landed on, this is an open position. So this is a really uh, rare opportunity that's in front of me. I know I'm not ready, but when are you ready for that? You know, like there's, how do you define being ready for that? Um, and also um, I felt this duty to represent a younger voice in the race because I looked at the council and was like, all these folks, like, they just don't represent my generation. They don't understand what we're going through. And as I was working with my students, I was like, let me let me show you how, like, let me put myself out there to be like a model um, for what's to come. And I used my experience so much in teaching my students about how they could get involved. I have students who got elected, actually, to other offices. So that's really cool, oh, wow. um, like school boards and things like that. Um, and so... Yeah, it was uh, a flurry of me having doubt and then realizing, actually, I've been working towards this all along. I do have the capacity and I think there's a voice that I'm filling here that's missing. Um, and so I went for it. That's great. I thought you ran a great campaign. Um, you know, we you. don't we don't endorse here at People's Town Hall, but uh, <laughs> a, fan, a fan of your work uh, all around. Um, you know, Portland is... Um, you know, a very civically engaged place. It is very rare uh, when a council spot opens up, um, and it was you know a very competitive race in in much of the country. There are, you know, for those listening, there are f over five hundred thousand elected positions in America, and the vast majority of them are not contested. Like people don't run for them. So you know, wherever you are, take a look at especially school boards and, and institutions like that. Obviously, if you're not a lawyer, you're not going to run for the state Supreme Court or something like that. But um, <laughs> there are so many opportunities, you know, not just on a commission level, but to actually serve in elected office and, and nobody's running for it. So, uh, so definitely don't feel like that is a, a brass ring too far away. Um, so, you know, after, you know, your, your, um, uh, campaign. Um, is this when you became involved in the Charter Commission, the Portland City Charter Commission? So part of my platform 
for my campaign was around charter reform, actually. Um, that was something that I was doing some research on and again, being on that accountability board, seeing a little bit of the back end of what was going on in City Hall and the dysfunction that was happening and hearing uh, and learning more about previous efforts to change the charter um, and to reshape our form of government. And so I really made that a pillar of my platform. Um, and so when I didn't win my race, I knew immediately, it was like, well, I know that that spot is gonna be coming up, that commission needs to be um, filled by the end of 2020 and that I was gonna apply. So it was something that I was passionate about throughout my race. And I definitely wanted to get involved uh, once I, you know, if I was gonna be, if I were to be elected, I would have pushed it on the other end to make sure that the commission had the right resources and support. Um, but since I was on the outside, I was like, I should be a part of this commission. So I applied. Great. And yeah, for those listening, not from Portland, um, Portland is a city who uh, has the option of rewriting its basically its constitution every 10 years, uh, how the city is governed. Um, Portland is is rare for a city of its size in that it has uh, only four city council spots. Uh, it does not have a manager. It the uh, city council, city councilors manage city departments directly, um, and it many uh, and I think uh, Candace, you're one of them. Say you know this is an antiquated way of governance that might have worked in the 1920s, but certainly doesn't work in the in the 2020s. Um, and you're currently. This is in process, right? As we're as we're talking here in in July of 2022, uh, the the commission has um, finished its formal work of, of defining what the new charter should be, and then it's on to the voters. Or are there some some obstacles in the way? Yeah. So um, part of what the charter says is that this 20 member commission they can put things directly on the ballot if they get 15 or more votes in favor. Um, so that was always our goal was to get that supermajority because if you got between 11 and 14 votes, then it, the proposal would have to go to the city council for them to debate and then put on the ballot. And we wanted to bypass that um, always. So um, we are able to put it directly on the ballot. We're working right now with lawyers to deal with any legal things and language. But no, we're it's it's going on. It's happening November. So um, we're, we're really excited because we think that the way that we've structured the package, um, it's really holistic. Uh, I know uh, there's some uh, discussion around why we chose to make the package all one package, one ballot um, initiative as opposed to separating it. And that's because we didn't create these changes in a vacuum. They all affect each other. And so we felt like we didn't want to put to the voters this like a la carte menu because they all really need to be together to make one plate. If you start just picking off the things that you don't like, then it's not going to create the vision that we've um, set out to, to accomplish. And is there a place that uh, folks can can see what the, the proposed charter is online? So the website to learn more is portland.gov slash OMF slash charter dash review dash commission. Great. Well, I'll include that in the notes as well for those that want to just click directly. Uh, and again, we are, we at People's Town Hall are not uh, endorsing or, or opposing anything, but um, some, definitely some really interesting um, cutting edge ideas in this new charter, including ranked choice voting, which is becoming increasingly uh, adopted uh, throughout the country. So, um, you know, as we're recording this, you know, in 2022, uh, for I think folks that 
that share a lot of your values. There are so many um, upsetting setbacks. You know, the Supreme Court term that that just wrapped up is one of the most consequential in in my lifetime um, on so many issues. You know, we've got an existential threat to our federal democracy. There's hearings literally happening right now in, in Washington on that. You know, climate change is getting worse uh, every year. Uh, you know, to, to your fellow, you know, younger folks who, who might feel disheartened, discouraged, you know, where do you find hope? Because I, I can't imagine you could do the work you do to work as hard as you work, to care as much as you care, if, if you don't find that hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hope is one of those things that, um, like showering, you have to do it daily. You have to find it daily. Um, I think, uh, well, at least I think you should shower daily. <laughs> Maybe not everyone agrees with that. But my point is, like, you have to, like, it's a, a practice, right? It's not just a one-time thing. It's not something that's fleeting. It's something that you have to commit to. And you're committing to it because um, you know that change is possible because the only way things are going to change are if you fight for it. Um, power is not going to willingly give up their power. Um, you have to um, fight for that. And so that's what keeps me going because I, one, we have so much to lose and everything to gain. Um, and, you know, it, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that I don't get depressed sometimes and feel you know, feel that hopelessness. I was actually out of the country when that ruling came down on Roe v. Wade. And so I felt a little bit weird because I was like not in the country technically. And I was seeing the news and I was just like, my country, like, what are we doing? You know, and it's, it hurts, especially um, as someone who comes from an immigrant family. And we came to this country because of what it promised us. And just every decade, we just keep ticking back. But I also know that um, change takes time and it's worth it. And so that that keeps me going. And I have to just find time to rest, find time to heal in between these um, these horrible uh, situations so that I can regain the spirit that I need to fight. That's great. And, um, you know, as somebody who's who's a few years older than you, but not not quite a baby boomer, um, I, I absolutely find hope in in meeting you know, younger activists, younger leaders uh, like yourself. Um, it is always re-energizing and inspiring. So for anyone listening who's in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and whatever, and you think, hey, uh, the, the pages have turned on history and, and things are dire, you know, get out there and get involved and, and get elbow to elbow with some younger folks. They're going to they're gonna get you re-energized. Um, Candice, I could talk to you for for another hour about all the amazing stuff you do. Um, I know you're a busy person and and you're doing great work at at Verde, which we didn't get a chance to to talk about this time. Um, Is there anything you would like uh, folks to know, ways they can follow you, ways they can support your work, ways they can support causes you're you're engaged with right now? Absolutely. Well, uh, I really use my social media as an avenue to share what's going on in our city um, and ways to get involved. So definitely follow me. All of my handles are Candice for PDX. Um, and uh, that's I can connect you to some of the things that are happening. Um, and overall, I think my last what I want to end with is definitely invest in young people kind of going off of what you just said, because those are the people that have always been uh, pushing for change. They are the ones that um, have the energy to do that. And so um, everyone should be involved, but investment in the next generation is so crucial to keep the fight up. 
Great. I couldn't agree more. Candice, thank you for all you do. Uh, I'm a Portlander, so I'm biased, but I think anyone listening who's not uh, would, would take a look at your work and be really impressed as well. So thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us today on If We Can Keep It. Uh, until next time, uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. If We Can Keep It is a podcast series from People's Town Hall, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the idea that open dialogues strengthen our democracy. Subscribe and review on your preferred podcast service. Find out more about our work at peoplestownhall.org or suggest guests and topics for upcoming podcasts by emailing info at peoplestownhall.org.